I want to share with you today uh, the beginning of a new series we're going to be doing here at church. It's called, it's based on the command of Jesus and it's called Follow Me. Now you're probably thinking, um, follow me? That's pretty straightforward. I'm a Christian, of course I follow Jesus. That's what a follower of Jesus is, a Christian is, a follower of Jesus. But uh, I've been thinking about it for a little while since the start of the year and I've been thinking, do we really understand what it means to follow? In this day and age, in our world today, the truth is everybody follows something, don't they? We all follow something. And even those people who say, I don't follow anything, I'm independent, I'm strong, I don't follow anyone, they inadvertently hang around with and spend time with people that are independent and don't follow anyone, isn't that right? They, you know what I mean? They, they're that sort of people. So in today's world, when Jesus says, follow me, does it actually mean what we think it means? Because in today's world, following can be as simple as going on social media and clicking a button. It can be as simple as Instagram. Who's got Instagram? We've got an Instagram account coming for the Port Church soon. But you can go on Instagram and you can follow someone. Or you can go on uh, LinkedIn and follow someone. Or you can follow a Facebook page. Or you... And so some of us think following is as easy as clicking a button. But is that what Jesus meant by follow me? You know, sometimes following can be as simple as going to getting dressed up in your uh, team's colours and getting all dressed. I don't know if we've got it there. These guys, paying your club membership, going to games every week, and uh, I pick the best supporters that are around. You can, you can see by the quality that's up there. But uh, you think that you, go to, you become a part of a, a follower of a team and you can, and you can uh, get all your colours on and you can buy your tickets every week, and you go and watch these guys kick around a ball around the field, whatever sort of field it might be, whether it be Aussie rules or whether it be something else, and you think, is that what Jesus meant when he said, follow me? You know, some of us pay a lot of money to join certain clubs, certain clubs that are about certain things. Some are political clubs, like the Liberal Party or the Labor Party or the Greens or people like that, and we... We join together with people with similar mindsets or similar ideas about life. Maybe it's a Lions Club. Maybe it's even a church group or a church club that we get a part of. But is following about gathering together with people with a like mindset and following the same thing? You know, in today's world, following can be as simple as wearing certain types of clothes in a certain way, and all of a sudden, we're showing the world the group that we're in with. And we we think that's what following is all about. You know, the truth is, in Jesus' time, it was probably not very different to this. People followed all sorts of things. But one thing that was a little bit different in Jesus' time is that sometimes you didn't get a choice on what you followed. You see, in Jesus' time, when you were born to a certain race or a certain culture, you had no choice what you would follow. 
You see, if you were born Roman, then you lived your life as a Roman, and you followed Roman custom and Roman culture. In the, with the Jews, you were born in Israel, and you were born to Jewish parents, then you were a Jewish person, which meant, it doesn't just mean, oh, I'm Italian, but I can do whatever I want nowadays. I don't have to follow Italian culture. But in that time, when you were born Jewish, you were Jewish. That affected how you lived your life. It affected what you ate. You could only eat certain things if you were Jewish. You could, it, it affected who you could marry. You could only marry a Jewish person. It affected the religion you followed. Because if you were Jewish, you could only follow Judaism, nothing else. You see, that's what it was like. But even within Jewish, the Jewish cult, culture and race, there were still subcultures. So in the religious area, there were different sects of, of, of religious philosophy. So you had your Pharisees and your Sadducees. If you were political, you could join different political groups like the Zealots or the Herodites. So there were lots of different things that people could follow. And, but throughout the Gospels, Jesus called people to follow him. What on earth was he talking about? You see, last week I shared about the type of church that Jesus builds from Matthew 16. And if you read the whole chapter of Matthew, it's very, very interesting. And uh, after Peter has the revelation of who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God, the Messiah... You read a little bit further on that Jesus talks about the fact that he has to go to die. And so one minute Peter's up nice and high and he's been praised by Jesus for knowing the revelation. And then the next minute we discover that Jesus says, look, I'm going to have to go and die. And, and Peter goes, no, Lord, you can't do that. And you know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. So one minute he's praising him. The next minute Peter's brought back down to earth pretty quick. But then Jesus talks about what it takes to be a follower of Jesus, what it takes to be a member of his church, to be a member of his family. And so I want us to read it together from Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus makes it very clear in this passage what it takes to follow him. He doesn't mince his words. He's pretty straight up. It doesn't involve a monthly subscription or even an annual membership fee. It doesn't involve a click of a button on Instagram or Facebook or anything else. What it takes to be a follower of Jesus is much more than that. It involves our whole lives. Now, we're going to unpack that a lot more over the next few weeks as we talk about what it looks like to follow him. But today, I want to focus on the first part of that phrase where Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me. If anyone desires to come after me. You see, the first thing we need to know about being a follower of Jesus is that that invitation is to anyone. When Jesus says anyone, he means everyone. Everyone is welcome to follow Jesus. He doesn't just say, 
if any Jewish person wants to follow me. He doesn't say if any intelligent person wants to follow me. He says anyone. You don't need to have a certain IQ to follow Jesus. Guess what? And this might be good for some people in this room. You don't even need to have finished year 12 to follow Jesus. You don't need to have any special financial status to follow Jesus. You can be rich, although Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than a person to go through the eye of a needle. But that's a whole other sermon in itself. You can be rich or you can have no money at all. Finance does not matter. Guess what? To follow Jesus, it doesn't depend on your gender. You can be man or woman or dare I say anything in between. You go, oh, Ben, don't say that. Well, guess what? In the Bible, Philip led a eunuch to Jesus and baptised him. Now, if you understand that, a eunuch, this eunuch has just gone to Jerusalem to find out about God and he got rejected because in the Judaistic religion, a eunuch was not allowed in the temple courts at all. They were considered unworthy and unclean. But he was so hungry for God, God sent Philip to him to reveal the gospel and he received the gospel and he was baptised right there and then. Anyone, anyone can follow Jesus. Guess what? It doesn't matter about your political persuasion. You may follow Labour, Liberal, or, De- or the Greens, heaven forbid, I don't know. <laughs> Anything else? The Gun Party? I, don't, I won't go into any more. But you can follow all of them. But that, doesn't, that isn't a qualification for you to follow Jesus. Guess what? You don't even need to be an extrovert to follow Jesus. Any introverts happy about that? You know, sometimes we think it's only the popular people and the people that are alpha-type personalities that Jesus wants. No, he, he wants everyone. So it doesn't matter if you're shy or withdrawn or, or laid back or casual or you're driven and driven to succeed. Any of those types of people are welcome in Jesus' kingdom. You see, Jesus is happy to take ordinary people. You don't need, and this, is, this might be a bit controversial because we talk about everyone being special these days, but you don't need to be anything special. You don't need to have any special qualifications. You don't need to be, have any talents or any gifts. You don't need to have money or social status. You can be a nobody from Taparu or a so-called somebody from Burnside. Jesus' command is the same. Follow me. Anyone who desires to come after me. Now the truth is, when Jesus is saying this, he's talking to the disciples. Now the disciples are an amazing example of this very fact, this very principle that anyone can follow Jesus. Because the disciples were a diverse bunch of people. They were probably, the, one of the, at that time, one of the most diverse bunches of people you could ever imagine coming together. They were, they were all sorts. And so tonight, or tonight, today, this morning, I'm in, in night church already. But uh, I want to share with you about the disciples and show you what sort of people they were. So you, I hope we can all understand that 
every one of us here qualifies to be a disciple of Jesus. That there's nothing in this room that would eliminate you from being a follower of Jesus. We're going to start with the pictures aren't coming up real clear because it's daylight and we need a new projector. But um, I want to start with four disciples. These are Peter, Andrew, John and James. These are the ones that we know the most about. These are the ones that are talked about the most. And they are um, two sets of brothers. Peter and Andrew are brothers and James and John are brothers. And the other thing that they are is they are common fishermen. Just everyday plain old fishermen. Guess what? If you're a fisherman in Jewish time, you had no education. You probably tra- your father was probably a fisherman and he trained you to be a fisherman. They probably never went to Jewish school or, or anything else. They just learned to be fishermen from a very young age. And we actually know that they were part of their family's business. They were pretty good fishermen though because they had people working for them. But they had no education. So anyone who's sitting here going, I don't know if I could be a disciple of Jesus because I, haven't, I don't have an education, guess what? These guys didn't have an education, but Jesus still called them to be his disciples. They were just plain fishermen. One thing we do know about these guys, the Bible shows us, is that they had a spiritual hunger. Um, John and... Andrew were actually disciples of John the Baptist before they became disciples of Jesus. So that shows me that they had some kind of spiritual hunger, that they were searching for God. And then when John the Baptist said, when he saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, Andrew and John started to follow Jesus. You know, these, these guys as well, they all had very different personalities. Peter... Peter was the, the extrovert. He was the loudmouth. He was the one who was, I don't know if they appointed him spokesperson, but he chose to be spokesperson whenever something had to be said. Isn't that right? He stood up and he said and questioned Jesus or asked. He, he was the bloke that was willing to try anything. He walked on water. Anyone else walked on water here? I haven't. Well, that's pretty amazing. He also sliced off the ear of a soldier in a moment of rage and passion. He was an interesting character. He was larger than life. His brother, in this painting, his brother is the little guy still on the boat back here. And the others are Peter, John and James. It's really interesting that he is that person because Andrew, his brother, is the quiet achiever. You don't hear a lot about Andrew, but when you do hear about him, he is a, he is a person that, loves to introduce people to Jesus. He actually introduced Peter to Jesus and showed him the Messiah. He was also the one who brought the little boy with five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And what an amazing miracle that led to. But you don't hear of him saying a lot. You always hear of Peter, but maybe he lived in the shadow of his loud big brother, but Jesus still called him to follow him. Now, John and James, they're interesting characters. They had a nickname in in the Bible where they were nicknamed the Sons of Thunder because they were passionate, fervent, 
zealous people. They were full of life and full of energy and wanted to see the kingdom of God come no matter what. And there's a really interesting story in Luke 9. Have a look at it later. But Jesus goes to a Samaritan village and uh, the Samaritan village actually treats Jesus with contempt and, and asks him to leave. And John and James get really mad. They go to Jesus and they say, Lord, if you let us, we will command fire to come down from heaven and burn this city up because they've treated you so badly. And Jesus' reply to them is really cool. He says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So even in all their zealous passion, Jesus says, it's not about destroying things, which is a good lesson for us as Christians sometimes, because we get so mad about stuff. Things are unrighteous, things aren't right. But Jesus says, we're, about, we're not about destroying people, we're about saving people. Amen? They were also the ones who initiated the conversation about who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom. Their mother went to Jesus and said, can my son sit at your right hand? And that caused a lot of controversy amongst the disciples. So these are the type of people that Jesus called to follow him. Anyone feel better about themselves? That Jesus would call you to follow him? James is the, is the only disciple we hear about in the Bible that was martyred, that was actually martyred in Acts. John became known as the apostle of love or the beloved, John the Beloved. And this is really interesting because what that tells me about John is he started off fiery and passionate and zealous. He didn't lose any of that fire and passion, but he also was a quick learner because he learnt that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of love. And so if you read the epistles of John, you read about love. You read about God's love and what it is all about because he, you still have strong truth, but he also learnt love was so significant. There's a really interesting anecdote about John in his old age. He was actually at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus in his old age. And it was quoted as, he constantly said this phrase, my little children love one another. So it seemed like they would bring him to church in Ephesus. He was very old and he would say to people every time, my little children love one another. So he'd probably walk, he couldn't walk. They used to actually carry him through the church and he'd probably just go, my little children Love one another. My little children love one. And someone asked him one day, why do you say that all the time? And he gives this really cool response. It is the Lord's command. And and if this alone be done, it is enough. If this alone be done, it is enough. The next disciple I want to introduce you to is Philip. Philip. We don't know a lot about Philip, although the one thing we could um, understand from the Bible is that the only name we get for Philip is Philip. Most disciples have one or two names, a Greek name and a Jewish name, but Philip, the only name we ever get is Philip. And that Philip is not a Jewish name, it's actually a Greek name. So Philip could possibly have been a Hellenistic Jew. There goes my notes. So another reason why we might think this is because uh, there's a time in John 12 when some Greek people come to talk to Jesus and they actually go to Philip first and ask him to, that if he would introduce them to Jesus. 
So we know that he might possibly may have been a Hellenistic Jew, a, a Jew that grew up with, uh, in, within Greek culture. But also, the other thing we discover about Philip is that he is a very practical-minded person. He is the administrator of the group, the organiser. Have we got any organisers here, any administrators? None of them want to put up their hands because they don't want to take responsibility. But the fact is, he was the one when... There was the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus asked, how can we feed these people? He said, he, he did the maths quickly and he's like, Jesus, this is going to take this amount of wages to feed all these people. So he had worked it all out in his head, he'd calculated it, Damo, calculated it and he said, it's impossible, we can't do it, forget about it. But, and I think that's really important for us to understand, Jesus called someone with that sort of mindset. It's not just all the bells and whistles, it's we need administrators, we need practical-minded people. The next um, disciple that we'll talk about is Bartholomew, or he also known as Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel was a friend of Philip because Philip introduced Nathaniel to Jesus. The one thing we get and we discover about Nathaniel is that he was actually a person that was very prejudiced. You go, surely not a Christian being prejudiced. But the story goes, he was the one that made that amazing statement when Philip came to him and said, I found the Messiah. He's, uh, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And this guy goes, are you kidding me? What good thing could come out of Nazareth? He's a Galilean. He, uh, and at that time, the Galileans and the Nazarites or Nazarethites what do you want to, whatever you want to call them, were actually not enemies, but they didn't like each other. A little bit like South Australians and Victorians. You know, he was probably going, you know, we used to say kick a Vic. He's like kick a Nazarite or whatever it is. Um, so there was a bit of tension. But the truth be known, both places, both Galilee and Nazareth, were pretty ordinary places. They were pretty rough. They weren't, yeah, flash places. And the, and the truth is, if... Anyone else in Israel would never have imagined that the Messiah or his disciples would have come from any of those sorts of places. They would have gone, you're telling me the Messiah is from Nazareth and his disciples are from Galilee? Yeah, you're joking. But this is the good thing about Nathaniel. Even though he was prejudiced, even though he didn't like anyone from Nazareth, he still chose to go with Philip, his friend, to check Jesus out. And the amazing thing about Nathaniel is that before he came, as he came towards Jesus, Jesus had a word of knowledge and declared, I saw you under the tree contemplating this and that. And as soon as Nathaniel realized that this guy had had a word of knowledge or seen him, he fell to his knees and said, you are the Messiah, you are the Lord. That in that one moment, his prejudice meant nothing. He had discovered the Messiah, the Lord. How cool is that? The next guy is probably the most controversial guy of all the disciples. It's Matthew, or called Levi. Matthew was the tax collector. Now, you have to understand, for Jesus to choose a tax collector is just crazy. See, tax collectors were the most despised people in all of Jewish culture because the Romans had a really smart strategy. They didn't collect taxes themselves. They got locals to collect taxes, so they didn't cop the flack for it. 
But the, they gave the locals, whom they made tax collectors, they gave them the power to do it by force if they had to. But they also gave them the power to collect more for themselves if they wanted to. So can you, you can imagine that if you were a Jew, you would hate tax collectors. And Jesus went and chose a tax collector to be one of his disciples. The funny thing about this is when Jesus called Matthew, the Bible literally says he immediately followed Jesus. He didn't even think about it. Jesus said, come follow me, and he said, I'll follow you. And then the next thing he does is he throws a huge party for Jesus, and he invites all his friends. Now, this is the party that's talked about in the Bible where the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, why are you hanging around with tax collectors and sinners? That's the sort of party it is. And the fact is, when Matthew went to invite people to his party, his friends, the only friends he had were tax collectors and the lowest of the low of the Jewish community because they were the only person that would hang around with him. He probably had his bouncers there, the ones that used to get money, you know, his standover men that would get money out of people. He had them there. Who knows what else he had there? But they were probably the low lowlifes of Jewish culture. And that's why the Pharisees were so appalled and so shocked because how could you mix with these sorts of people? But Matthew had met Jesus and had chosen to follow him and he wanted his friends to know who this Jesus was. You see, it's a great reminder that God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And we see the heart of Matthew that when he met Jesus and Jesus called him, he dropped everything and followed him straight away. The next disciple is Thomas, or Thomas Didymus. Didymus means twin. So he was probably a twin. He is also the one we all know as Doubting Thomas, isn't that right? He's the pessimist of the group. So uh, he's the one that's always pessimistic. He, when Jesus was gonna, decided to go back to Bethany, even though he knew he could be killed, um, Jesus still chose to go. And Thomas is the one who goes, well, if he's going to get killed, we might as well all go with him and get killed. Because uh, who cares? Like, we're all going to die, so let's all die. He's that sort of guy. Anyone relate to that? God, if you're going to make me do that, well, I'll do it anyway. I'll just, who cares if I die? Whatever happens, I'll, I'll do it. But um, as we famously know as well, he was the one that needed to touch Jesus' scars to believe that Jesus had risen. Now, we could, you know, get all down on Thomas and go, go oh, that's terrible. He shouldn't doubt. He should have faith. But the reality is we all have our doubts. And Thomas gives hope to all of us. That when we go through crises of faith and we have struggles and difficulties and we go, God, what is going on? Why, God? God's okay with that. Because he called someone like Thomas to be his disciple. And he doesn't care if we ask questions or we doubt or we wonder why. Because he loves to show himself strong on behalf of those who are seeking him with all their hearts. The last three Disciples I'll share about are James the Less, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Iscariot, Judas the son of Alphaeus. Now these three, we don't even know um, much about them. The only time we really know about them is when they say their names. And uh, other than that, we, you don't really learn much of them. 
But one thing that we do know is that in Jewish culture, names meant a lot. They, they had a significant meaning that they were more than just a name. And so if we look at their names, we can discover quite a bit about them. The first one is James, or nicknamed James the Less. Now, James was a very common name at that time. There was already another disciple who was called James. Um, there's a few other Jameses in the Bible. But the thing about this James is that he was distinguished as the son of Alphaeus and he was also given the name or the nickname James the Less in Mark 15. Now the Greek word used in this passage is micros which literally means is when you describe something as small or little. So this is little James. So one thing that we might ascertain from this is that James might have been pretty short Maybe he was like Nonna, pretty short, not very tall. Or maybe he could have been the youngest in the family, James the Less or James the Small or Little. He might have been the youngest. The fact is, why would the Bible tell us that? To let us know that it doesn't matter your stature or your order of birth, that you might be overlooked and uh, not considered in your family or any other place. You might be put down because of your stature or because of the way you are or the way you look, but it doesn't disqualify you from becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, Simon the Zealot, he's an interesting character because the Zealots were a political group at that time who were crazy. They were willing to get political power in any way possible. They would use physical violence if necessary. They had actually been outlawed by the Romans and had gone underground at this time. Now, if you'd liken them to something of today, they were like the ISIS of today back then. They used violence. After Jesus died many years later, they actually were part of a massive uprising that caused the temple to be destroyed and all sorts of thousands of people to be killed. Um, but this is Simon the Zealot. So obviously, at some point of his life, he was a part of the Zealots. And we don't know much else about him, but I want you to think about this for a moment. If Simon's a zealot and he hates the Romans and he hates everything about Rome and wants to overcome, and in his life he's wanted to overcome the Romans, but then he meets Jesus and he, Jesus says, follow me. So he leaves his past behind and he follows Jesus. And then he gets together with the other followers of Jesus. And in that group is Matthew, the tax collector. What did Matthew do? He worked for the Romans for his own personal gain. So you've got someone who hates the Romans and you've got someone who worked for the Romans. This is the amazing thing about followers of Jesus, that when you come together under Jesus' name, that it doesn't, the beautiful picture is that we can come from all sorts of different backgrounds, but when Jesus is the one thing we have in common, we all can get along with each other. We can all understand one another and we can all move forward with, with our lives. The, the other fellow on the end there is Judas, or not Iscariot. He also had other names. He was known as Thaddeus and Labius. These are both nicknames, again. And it's really interesting because Thaddeus means breast child. There you go. What on earth are you talking about? Breast child. So what we would literally say today, that he was a mummy's boy. Thaddeus the mummy's boy. That's the, 
I'm not the mummy's boy. Don't point at me. I relate to Thaddeus, yes. Uh, any other mummy's boys in the house? Good on you, Dougie. Um, the, the truth is, his second name, Labius, isn't much better. It means heart child, which means, you know, softy or timid or gentle one, gentle soul. So this is the, who, who this guy is, Judas um, Thaddeus Labius. He's a soft-hearted, tender, loving mummy's boy. And Jesus called him to be his disciple. How good is that? How good is that? He's, this is some young kid who's part of, he's got robust fishermen. Their hands are probably like, like bricks. <laughs> and they've been pulling nets up so much. And then you've got a tax collector who's ripping people off left, right and centre. And then you've got a zealot who's ready to kill anyone who says anything. And, and then you've got little old Thaddeus. I'm gentle, I'm meek, I just love Jesus with all I have. And my mum, she's special too. It takes all sorts. Can you see the truth here? Anyone is welcome to follow Jesus. Anyone can be a disciple of Jesus. The last one is Judas. Judas Iscariot. Or Judas the traitor. I'm not going to go into Judas because that's a whole other sermon in itself. I'm not going to make any judgments about Judas other than to say this. There go I but for the grace of God. There go I but for the grace of God. Because the truth is the calling of all these disciples reminds us that if anyone desires to come after Jesus, to come after him, they will all find his amazing grace. Because that's why anyone can follow Jesus is because Jesus shows all of us grace. You don't need anything our world looks at for a qualification to be good enough to follow Jesus. The only thing that qualifies you is his grace. I'll close with this story. Because Peter discovered this amazing truth after Jesus' resurrection. It's in John 21, if you want to read it for yourself. But Peter had denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And so for all intents and purposes, it was all over for the disciples. They're like, well, that's done. What's going to happen now? And Peter himself is thinking, I rejected him. I denied him. There's no hope for me anymore. And then in John 20, he meets the resurrected Jesus, which he says is amazing, it's great. But then in John 21, we read something really interesting, which show his actions, show that he's probably not um, resolved the issue of denying Jesus. But in that moment, it tells us that he's gone back to fishing. And not just him, but a few other disciples as well. Now, I'm sure in Peter's mind, he's thinking, what am I going to do now? And he's going, well, all I know is fishing, so I'll go back to fishing. But then I think in the back of his mind, he's probably thinking, but Jesus said, if if you put your hand to the plough and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And so he's thinking, but going back is fishing, 
I'm not fit. So he's probably thinking, well, I'm not fit for the kingdom of heaven anymore because I denied Jesus three times. I turned my back on him in his moment of need. Of course I'm not fit, so what do I do? Even though he's resurrected, he doesn't want me. I'm not good enough anymore. I'm going back to fishing. And this is the amazing thing. At that moment, Jesus comes to him while he's fishing and shows him his grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said you, you're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat, come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it. All right. Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter.
In that moment, Jesus restored Peter back to where he should be. The same grace that Jesus received at the start, he, restore, he receives right now at this point. Restoring Peter back to God's original plan that he would be one of his disciples that would start the early church, that would establish the kingdom of God here on earth. We all need God's grace. Even Paul, the apostle, said it this way in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for you. God loves to lavish his grace upon us. And the first thing that we need to understand is that it's for anyone. Anyone in this room, you're welcome to follow him. Now, I'm sure many of you have already put your hand up and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. But maybe you feel a little bit like Peter and you've made too many mistakes. You've slipped up too many times. You've, you've messed up over and over again. And you think, Jesus, I don't know if you want me anymore to be your disciple. But he comes to you again, like he did to Peter, and says, follow me. Follow me. He says, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength, my power is made perfect in your weakness. In other words, it's okay if you're weak. It's okay if you feel ordinary. It's okay if you've messed up. My grace is enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Some of you might be making excuses, oh, I don't, have, I don't have the skills, I don't have the qualifications, I don't have the education, I don't have the money to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus says, forget about that. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I will show the world how strong I truly am. In your weakness. Let's bow our heads in prayer.